Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, come before you humbly, not presuming to know anything, but uh, emptying ourselves so that we can learn from your word. Uh, Lord, we know it's a tremendous gift that you've given to us, uh, uh, that you've provided leaders for us in the church, and to help us to really try to understand and really embrace it and love this. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so... Um, we're going to do a little bit of review from last week. And so let me read to you the box. It's in italics, okay? Uh, this is from last week. The church is governed by elders. The pastor is an elder who specializes in teaching, right, as opposed to ruling elders. The pastor and elders are equal in power. And then each church is connected to one another through a regional gathering of elders who have oversight over all the churches in the region. Okay, so if I can sort of draw the diagram... The church, right, the, uh, the people who make the decisions in the church are the elders. And uh, they have authority over the congregation. Right? They make the decisions. Uh, they decide the teaching. Uh, they set the direction, the finances, and so forth. And uh, not only is this uh, uh, true within one church, right, but we, but we saw last week, right, that it's, it's connected, each church is connected to another. So you have here another church, another set of elders uh, who have authority over their congregation, and uh, they're connected, right? Let me, let me write this. They're connected, right? Uh, through what we would call a regional body of, uh, of elders, right? So all the churches in the region meet together, and then this elder, this, uh, this uh, gathering of elders has authority over all the churches, so that, right, so that, for example, let's say these elders are uh, teaching uh, the anti-gospel, right? Then this regional body can go and remove these elders and protect the congregation so that uh, good and right elders can be placed, right? Um, and this is opposed to another model, what I would call the, what is called the independent model, in which you might have elders over the congregation, but each church is independent from one another, right? And so if this group of elders is teaching false stuff, there's nothing that these elders or any other church can do other than sort of wag their finger and, and frown and shake their head. But this congregation is really helpless. There's no way for them to, to, to know or have any protection, right? And why is this model the true and biblical model? Do you guys remember the argument that I gave last week from the Bible? What was the passage or what was the example? Acts 15. Acts 15, that's right. Acts 15, which is the what? Uh, not Perry. Do you guys remember what happened in Acts 15? Yeah, but what was it called? The, the Council of Jerusalem? Yes. The Jerusalem Council. Right? And this was a, a regional gathering of all the elders and all the apostles, right? And then they had their decision, remember? They said circumcision is not necessary for salvation, which was a doctrinal determination. And that determination was binding. They wrote a letter. Right? They wrote a letter to 
Uh, all these churches, right? So they wrote a letter to the church in Cilicia, Syria, Antioch, and then, of course, in Jerusalem as well. And this letter was binding, and, 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 and their decision, all the churches, the regional churches, had to abide by. Right? And so this model right here, the, the biblical model, the Jerusalem Council model, um, doesn't look like this. It looks like this. Right? Now, uh, what about the elders? Uh, there are two sets of elders. Right? Where's the... There are, there, there are two sets of elders. Does anyone remember the titles I gave them? Yeah, teaching elders. And what would they be called in normal language? Pastors, right? So there are teaching elders, and then there are what? Yeah, elders who don't teach. We call, I would call them ruling elders. Right? And these two people, these two sets of people, are equal. In power, in authority, in decision-making, right? It's not like the pastor gets one, two votes, and the other elders each get like half a vote or something, right? Uh, but what is the difference between teaching elders and ruling elders? Do you guys remember? Anyone? Like double blessing. Yes, they get a double honor, but what, what is that double honor? Uh, yes, right? They get paid, right? These guys get paid, but why are they getting paid? Because they're doing teaching and ministry full-time, right? So these guys are specialists, right? So in our church, right, I am an elder, but I'm a teaching elder, meaning my specialty, my focus is I have to study the Bible, I have to teach you guys. But alongside with me, there will be other elders, and their specialty, I mean, they don't have the specialty of having to teach, so they're not doing it full-time, they're not paid, they have regular jobs, okay? I guess you would call them part-time ministry workers. But they're both ministers, they're both passionate, they're both authoritative uh, watching over the church, right? And so, I would say that the, the elder has three duties. Okay, one is manage the church, right? This is make decisions, right? One is, um, and you know, decide the vision, uh, set the budget. These are, you know, the kind of management things that pastors, I mean, uh, elders do. And then the second thing I would say is they have pastoral care, Right? They have to shepherd the congregation, they have to pray for the congregation, love the congregation, watch over the congregation. And then the final thing I would say is they have to um, do theology. Right? They have to make doctrinal determinations, they have to decide what is true teaching, what is false teaching, um, and protect the congregation in that way. Are there any questions? So this is all by way of review. Are there any questions from last week? Any notes of clarification? No? Yes. So you know the uh, connected elder model, that does that actually work that way where if 
the elders of a church are teaching a anti-gospel? Yes, I've elders? seen it tons of times. Oh, really? I feel elders like have been the church would just, you know, leave the denomination and start their own. Um, I can only tell you about, for example, the denomination I'm in, the PCA. Uh, this has happened numerous times where an elder will teach false things. And then uh, the regional body of elders will uh, convene and hold a trial. And then they'll examine that elder and question that elder and reason with that elder and ask that elder to repent, to, you know, to, to teach what is right. And if he refuses, then they will say, uh, you cannot be an elder anymore. So they will depose him of his office. Um, that doesn't you know, mean necessarily that you know, he, he, he's not a Christian or anything, but he, he's no longer holding the office of the elder, and then that elder will submit. You know, and, and, the, and then the church has a new elder or a new pastor. Uh, very rarely will the church break off. If the church breaks off, I think the elders have taught the congregation falsely, which is that, that it's some sort of like cult of personality, right? And so the congregation is under the elders, but the congregation is also under all a, bu- a bunch of elders from other churches, right? And so I think this is accountability model is I think the healthiest model. It corrects uh, error and so forth. Yeah. Uh, so I have a question about uh, like the different denominations or within the Presbyterian Church. Yeah. You have the PCA. You have yeah. the other ones. Yeah. Um, so evidently some of these people were together at one time and then they broke off. Yeah. So what makes one more right than the other except if you go by biblical interpretation of the Bible? But if they keep splintering off, yeah. they, be, they actually become like independent until they have a sister church and they join together. Now those two churches form uh, yeah. kind of... So, I mean, where does it... There's... um um. I mean, this is this answer maybe is a much much longer answer than uh, I mean uh, the real answer would take a long time to go through the history of the Presbyterian Church in America, uh, but the main split happened um, uh, in the middle of the 20th century, and it was basically over uh, liberalism versus Orthodox Christianity, and it had to do with issues like is the Bible inerrant? Um, are there miracles in the Bible? Is Jesus divine? Um, did Jesus really atone for sin, or did he just really do that just to show us that he loves us, but, you know, that isn't necessary. So there are all kinds of controversies that were actually not just breaking out in the Presbyterian Church, but this was a na- na- nationwide phenomenon. And so what you had in the mid-centuries, you had almost all the denominations in America split. They all split. This is, um, if you're interested in history, it's called the modernist fundamentalist controversy. And so the fundamentalists broke off. And then what's called the mainline denominations, the people with all the money and the power, they're the sort of the, the, the main denominations, and they went liberal, right? And so they, they advocated all, all kinds of things that we would say is unbiblical. And so the main break is between uh, uh, the liberal and the conservatives. And then among the conservatives, you know, there are fights sometimes, right? Uh, but that's the main split. I would say it's a legitimate split because can you stay in a denomination in which they deny that Jesus is God? I would say no. You have to. I mean, Jesus is God. He's Lord. And so that's, that's, that explains it. That, that split happened not just among the Presbyterians. It happened among the Baptists, the Methodists, the Lutherans, right? The conservative Lutheran denomination is the, is the Missouri Synod, 
So only one little synod stayed true, and then all the rest of the nation fell. And then the Missouri Synod, right, controls churches in like Florida, and you know, so it's all confused, right? And so, I mean, that's church history. It's an it's an interesting topic, but does so that answer your question? Independent churches that break off from, say, a mainstream uh, denomination, even yeah. among the Baptists, yeah. you have American Baptists and Southern Baptists and. And then Google within Baptist, those, yeah. you have independent Baptists. Yeah. So do those independent Baptist churches have a right to separate because they disagree with uh, American Baptists? Or, sure. Or, I mean, we're I'm just trying to... The Baptist church form of church government is not the connectional model. It's independent model, and they only associate together. I mean, within the PCA, too, there's some that split off. Yeah. Uh, to be an independent Presbyterian church is a contradiction. There is no such thing. So you have to be connected. Uh, the Baptist church government, former church government, is independent, so you can be independent. So that's fine. Is, does that answer your question? Like, are you talking about legitimacy? Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it depends on like what your definition of legitimacy is. To be an independent Baptist church within the Baptist understanding of church government is, is, is fine. So it's, it's not like the it's not like a Southern Baptist look at independent Baptists and say you're wrong. Although they will say kind of like you should associate with other churches. But they're not saying you're wrong, biblically speaking, because it's independent law. Does that make sense? Okay. We'll move on simply because of the sake of time. Alright. Any other questions about the review from last week? Alright, so let's move on. Okay. Time. Uh, I may shut down some questions. Uh for the sake of time. All right. What about women elders? Ah, this is a very controversial uh, topic. I've, uh, I've been in classes where they'll spend like weeks on this subject, right? Because it's so controversial. It upsets a lot of people. Uh, it gets people's blood boiling. Um, and I don't want to get your blood boiling, you know, because later on today in the sermon, I may get your blood boiling. And so, so you know, please give me a pass. Uh, please just, you know, kindly listen. And um, I'm going to try to make this appealing and try to help you to understand why the Bible teaches the way it does. I have to say again, by the way, this is a peripheral issue. If you disagree, if you say, I believe women can be elders, that's fine. You know, I think uh, you, uh, you, you're not reading the Bible correctly, but that doesn't mean, you know, you're not a Christian. No, no, no. But that doesn't mean, you know, we disagree, but that doesn't mean you're not a Christian. That doesn't mean, you know, you can't belong to this church that you can't get along. Does that make sense? That ought not to be a reason why we fight and break up. It's really a silly thing, you know. It's really a peripheral issue, I think, um, relative to the gospel. Okay, but nevertheless, the Bible does have a lot to say on it. So, uh, I believe the Bible has two positions on, the, on gender that is seemingly contradictory. The first position is that men and women, uh, women are equal in worth. Right? But the Bible also says that uh, men and women have different, uh, different roles. Okay? And so where do we see that? Well, let's look at the passage that says they have same worth. Carolyn, can you read Genesis 1, 27? Right? Men and women both reflect the image of God. They're both equal. The Bible affirms this. It's not that men are better than women. Absolutely not. But 
they nevertheless have different roles. Danny, can you read Ephesians 5? Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and it is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives must submit to everything to their husbands. Right? Um, this is the model that the Bible gives us within the family. The husband is the head and the wife must submit to uh, her, her husband's servant leadership, right? He's supposed to be like Christ in his headship, not just dictatorial. I talked about this in the marriage series. If you're interested, you can listen to that. Um, but the real question then is, okay, so that's the family. The, do these gender roles apply in the church? Ah, that's the big fight. Um, a lot of people will admit that gender roles is clearly present in the family, but then they will deny that it is in the church, right? By the way, gender roles don't apply in in the world outside the family in the church. So if you want to vote for a woman president, don't say, hmm, can she be the head of the nation? The Bible has nothing to say about that. Can, can I submit to my female supervisor? Yes, submit to your female supervisor. Because it has nothing to do with, with, with what the Bible is talking about. It's only talking about the family, and we're now asking, does it have to do with the church? And so I would say yes. Gender roles apply in the church, and here's how we know this. Okay, and there's several arguments. Uh, let's read 1 Timothy 3. This is the passage that talks about who elders are, the qualifications, and so let's read it. Actually, we're going to read it several times today, but let's read it. Eric, can I have you read it? The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Okay. Verse 4 is key, okay? Um, if you look at verse 4, it says, one of the key qualifications of the, of the elder is that he is a good father who can manage his children. Why? So that's one of the key skill sets and one of the key responsibilities of an elder. He has to manage the church. And so what Paul is saying here, and I want you to see this, is that the church and the family are in parallel. Right? Really, you, the, 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 the male father has to manage his family, just like the male elder has to manage an even bigger family in the church. Okay? Um, and how do we know that, th that the church and the family are in parallel? parallel? We'll look at 1 Timothy 3.14. Can I, Annie, can I have you read that? Yeah, so the church is the household of God. It's a family. And so the same family rules apply. Now, does that mean that every woman has to submit to every man? Absolutely not. Okay? If a man comes to you and says, submit to me, first of all, you should say, that's not very Christ-like. But second of all, you, you should say, you have no authority. Right? Because it's talking about elders. Okay? So men and women must submit to elders. Right? And so this is, this is what's going on. Not to any man, okay? Please. Not to any man. Um, all right. Point number three. Next page. 
Um, that's not the only bit of evidence that I would cite. There's more. Uh, Paul specifically prohibits women from holding the office of elder. And there are two key passages to this. Okay? And, man, this is going to be really fun because these two passages are very controversial. Um, Harry, you're in seminary right now, and I'm sure you're going to tackle these passages eventually, but a lot of fireworks are, a lot of ink is spilled. I have a book at home that's like 500 pages long, and it's basically talking about these two passages, right? So there's just lots of fights going on. Um, but let's read the first passage, 1 Timothy 2. Now, when you read it, don't like throw rocks at me. This is the word of God. Don't get mad at me. Um, Jeff, can I have you read it? Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. All right. What is this verse talking about? Um, there are people who interpret this passage uh, in a very narrow sense that women can never teach in the church. Um, I think that's a wrong interpretation because if you look at Acts chapter 18, Priscilla, we see, is teaching, right? You know, you know, so, so, so the argument is no woman can ever teach another man. I think that's an incorrect uh, uh, interpretation. So, uh, Sammy, can I have you read Acts 18? He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him and explained to him the way of God more Whoa! Right? Now this is amazing. Here's Apollos, who is an incredibly eloquent, uh, knowledgeable Bible teacher, and he's preaching. And then Priscilla and Aquila, notice by the way it says Priscilla and Aquila, meaning she's taking the lead, right? Normally you always mention the husband first. But she's taking the lead and they're like, come aside. You need to understand, this is, the, what, this is what the Bible says. She's like explaining, she's teaching Apollos. So clearly Paul is not prohibiting women from teaching men, okay? Then what is Paul talking about when he says to, to the, I do not permit women to teach? Well, notice that he prohibits two activities, to teach and to, to exercise authority. Now, you can think of these as two separate things, but I believe the better way to understand this is that they are synonymous. Man, how do you spell synonymous? Let me teach you. <laughs> okay, that they are in parallel, right? Okay, so I believe... What's going, what, what Paul is prohibiting is authoritative teaching. Wait a minute. I'm having real trouble here. Let me look up my spelling here. Uh, oh, yes. Okay? I believe what he is prohibiting is authoritative teaching. It is a specific kind of teaching. It is the kind of teaching that I believe that elders are supposed to do, right? And so, how do I know that? Well, let, let me run down through some of the passages. First Timothy 3, 
right, we, we just read that list. Notice that one of the key duties or responsibilities an elder has to do is he has to able to teach. Now, I don't believe that that means that the elder has to have the skill set of standing in front of a classroom and, and being able to explain things and, 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 and hold the attention of a class. I believe what this means to teach in terms of what an elder is doing is to have doctrinal, uh, uh, to make doctrinal determinations, uh, to, to be able to discern what is true teaching, what is false teaching, and to be able to guard the gospel and hand that down to the church. It's not the teaching <laughs> skill set, but it's the teaching authority, right? Look at uh, 1 Timothy 4.11. Paul tells Timothy, command and teach these things. He's not saying command people and also teach. I think these two are, again, are in parallel. To command and to teach is the same thing, right? It's to have authority over the congregation. Uh, look at 1 Corinthians 12. Notice that among all the different uh, 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 special skills, special gifts that are given, it says all, are all teachers. Right? Teacher is a special gift in the church. And so when Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach, I think he is excluding women from this very special and narrow skill set, uh, not skill set, but uh, 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 authority of teaching as an elder. And so that does not mean women cannot teach men. That does not mean women cannot teach even Sunday school. I think it's fine for a woman to teach Sunday school as long as she is under the authority of the elders. But what, what, what Paul is saying is he does not permit women to be an elder is essentially what I think is going on. Okay? So uh, that's my take. You're probably wondering about verse 13. For Adam was formed first in Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. You know, wow, I, I wish I had like three hours to explain that. Um, this is what I think is going on. Uh, the fact that Adam was, was created first is because God made Adam the head, right? And, and Eve was under Adam so that it was Adam's sin that plunged humanity to its death, not Eve. And when he says, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor, okay, that, that a lot of ink has been spilled on that. Uh, people say, oh, does that mean oh, women are more easily deceived than men and therefore... Uh, men should be elders because less likely percentage chance that they're going to be deceived. Absolutely not. Uh, I think that is an offensive way to look at it um, because the Bible in no way ever says that women are weaker-minded than men. Um, men and women are equal. Look at Priscilla. She's smarter than her husband, Aquila, right? She knows her stuff. Um, I believe what that is saying is that Satan deliberately subverted the gender roles. So he did not tempt Adam. He tempted Eve. He went to Eve, not, not the head. And so he was flipping the gender roles as a way to thumb it to God and as a way to bring down humanity, right? Okay, <laughs> don't ask me about that. That's all I'm going to say. Um, so basically, it's, cult it's not cultural. It's, it's based in creation. A lot of people say, well, there was, you know, gender problems going on. No, in the church, in the culture. I think Paul is going all the way back to Genesis chapter uh, 3. 1, 2, and 3 as the foundation of, of the church uh, gender roles. Second passage, second controversial passage, um, 1 Corinthians 14. Uh, Gary, can you read that? What was that? Second? Oh, oh, sorry, 1 Corinthians oh, okay. 14. Um, for God is not God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the woman should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there's anything else they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands Wow, right? Wow. Um, 
Should uh, is the is the interpretation that women should just never speak? You know, the moment they enter church, they should just be silent and mum. Uh, that is a that is I think a totally false way to understand it. And I say that because in the very same letter, Paul says in First Corinthians eleven, right? I'm not going to read the whole passage, but look at verse 5. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. I don't know who will get into what's going on here. But basically, he's talking about women who prophesy, who pray, who talk in the church. And he says when they do that, they should cover their head. We'll talk about another time what that means. But of course women talk in the church. I mean, it's ridiculous uh, to understand it otherwise. And so what does it mean when Paul says women keep silent? Okay, I think uh, the best way to understand it is notice he, what he puts it in contrast to. Uh, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission. So this is in opposition to women being in submission. Right? Well, what is submission? Submission is submission to the authority of the elders. So when women speak, the speaking that he's talking about is speaking authoritatively as an elder making doctrinal determinations. Paul does not permit this for women because these are the gender roles that, 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 that Paul assigns men and women, right? Um, and I think these two passages are connected because if you look at 1 Timothy chapter 2 all the way up at the top, verse 12, it says, I don't permit a woman to teach or exercise authority. Rather, she is to remain quiet, right? And then in verse 34 of 1 Corinthians 14, it says, women should be silent. Quiet, silent is the same thing He's talking about the same thing in both passages. It's not, again, that women shouldn't talk, but that women shouldn't speak as elders. Any questions? Annie? So, how come if... You if, should be silent, so don't <laughs> even talk. <laughs> if if uh, both you know, women and men are supposed to be under the authority of the elders, why does he point out, like, a woman? Shouldn't he be, like, the woman and men under elders should... You're right. You're right. Um, notice that in 1 Corinthians 14, he starts out by talking about God is not, not a God of confusion. So what's going on in the Corinthian church is there's just real chaos going on. You know, the Corinthian church, in many ways, was a super talented church. This was a church filled with hyper-smart women, uh, really active, engaged women. And just, you know, just, it's a great church filled with really gifted people. But the women were taking on... Um, they were trying to presume upon and, and trying to grab a hold of the authority of being an elder. And so Paul's specifically speaking to that. Now, it's true. You know, those men who are not elders, he would also say, I do not permit you to speak as an elder. Right? And, you know, I could just hear my mom in the background, right? Because my mom is a feminist. You know, that's where she got her PhD in, by the way. Feminism. I could just hear my mom speak to me. Michael, oh, the Bible is just oppressive, repressive to women. You know, this is just this is just uh, so, this is just so typical and primitive of the Bible. But this is what I would say: that the Bible has a beautiful vision of gender roles. That you could have different roles but equal worth, because think about the Trinity. Right here, you have the Father; He has authority, and here you have the Son who submits to the authority of the Father. But does that make the Son less God than the Father? Absolutely not. So, how do you explain the Trinity? Different roles, different roles, but equal value, right? If you deny gender roles, then you must deny the Trinity. And so I think what God is asking women to do and men to do is both 
men and women are to imitate Christ. Men are to imitate Christ in the sense that Christ is the head of the church and he loves the church. He sacrifices himself for the church. He never puts his own interests. He always puts the interests of others. And women are to imitate Christ in the sense that Christ submits to the authority of the Father. Do you see? This is a beautiful vision. Otherwise, the fa- if, the feminists, if, if the feminists are correct, I don't want to put it in that broad terms, but if certain feminists are correct, then if you are a janitor, if you are in the mail room, that means you're of less worth than the CEO, than the management and the executives. Is that true? That's a very brutal world in which how much authority you have means how much worth you have. I think the Christian worldview is so beautiful because even the servant, even the lowliest slave has equal worth, even though they may have different roles and different uh, uh, positions in life. Um, are there any questions here at this point? Are you are you are you mad? No. All right. <laughs> um, all right. What about deacons? Okay. So that's women elders. Um, what about deacons? Okay. Um, let's read uh, Philippians one. Uh, Mary Lou, can you read that for us? Yeah, to the overseers and deacons. Remember, overseers is just another word for elders. And so there are two ordained offices in the church, elders and deacons, okay? And so who are deacons? Well, uh, I think one of the, I mean, unfortunately, the Bible never comes out explicitly and says, deacon, this is what you're supposed to do. We're supposed to piece it together, right? Um, And the classic passage is 1 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, uh, Paul spends some time talking about who are elders, and then he spends some time ta- some some time talking about who are deacons. And I want I, I want us to do a little exercise, okay? In the first description of elders, notice that he gives elders some duties and responsibilities that he does not give deacons, okay? And so we're gonna do a little fun exercise. Look for two things that elders are to do, but that deacons are not to do, okay? And so let's read the passage together again. Kay, can I have you read the whole passage? First uh, Timothy 3, all the way, 1 through 13. Try to read it fast, but everyone pay attention. <laughs> try to read it fast, but pay attention. Well, I'll read it then. I'll read it, okay? And everyone try to pay attention to see if you can notice what's missing, okay? Well, let me start reading with the deacons first, because it's easier to notice what's missing if you read it second, okay? So verse 8. Deacons, likewise. By the way, the word likewise basically means don't, don't nitpick small description differences. Like elders are supposed to be uh, uh, self-controlled, but doesn't say deacons are supposed to be self-controlled. Does that mean deacons don't have to be self-controlled? No. Likewise is basically Paul's way of saying, yeah, you know, everything I said about elders pretty much character-wise applies, okay? Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderous, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Okay, now, let's look at elders. Notice there are two things Paul says about elders that is missing, okay, in the deacon list. 
The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be thought well outside of, by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. All right, what are the two things that are missing? Anyone notice? Recent convert. Say again? Recent convert. I think that falls under likewise. Mm-hmm. So elders can have to be long-time Christians. Deacons, they could... Oh, teaching. Teaching, yes. Elders are to teach. Notice, do you guys notice? Deacons are not required. Okay. Does that mean that deacons don't have to know the gospel? Absolutely not. Notice in verse 9, it says, they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They must absolutely know and love the gospel, but doctrinal authority is given to elders alone, not deacons. What's What's the second thing that elders do that deacons do not do? Yes. Okay. Um, by the way, notice that deacons are to manage their own household well, but not because it applies to their job, but simply because they are to be good examples to the church. But elders are to manage because they are to manage the church, right? So deacons don't have management authority over the church. Does that make sense? So, so far we know what deacons are not. What then do deacons do? Uh, the, the, the classic text is Acts 6. Uh, it doesn't actually have the word deacon in Acts 6, but does anyone know what the Greek word for deacon is? Can you make a guess? What do you think? Huh? Diakonos, right? That's the Greek word. Diakonos literally means one who serves. Okay, and if you look at verse uh, four there at the end, right? It says, uh, uh, no, not verse four. Sorry, at the end of verse two, it says uh, to serve tables. The word "serve" there is diakoneo, and so it's the same thing, right? He's talking about deacons. Um, do you guys, by the way, just as a quiz, do you guys remember what elder? The word el- There are two Greek words for elders. It's a quiz from last week, huh? I'm just kidding. Not Elder Ross, what Eric said. That's what I remember. <laughs> what does a presbyteros mean? Do you guys remember? Someone who is older and wiser. Uh, what does episcopos mean? Do you guys remember? Uh, overseer, manager, basically. Some, it was actually a word you used as the guy in charge of the slaves, right? And so it's really two words describing the same office, two aspects. But diakonos means one who serves. And so let me uh, just summarize what happens in Acts 6. So this is what was happening, right? Um, There was so much, an explosion of church ministry. There was so much going on. And one of the vital ministries of the church was to uh, serve and feed the widows of the church. Why the widows? Because the widows didn't have a husband. They had no one to take care of them. Remember, this is a male-dominated society. And so... Widows were at the mercy, you know, they were completely helpless. 
And so one of the key ministries of the church was to serve and feed and help the widows. And Acts 6 says that the apostles were so, and the elders were so overwhelmed with the ministry of the church, they said, listen, we can't spend all our time. Right? Uh, look at verse 2. It says, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. And so what they decide to do is they're going to appoint 12 men of good repute. In verse 4, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of, of the word. And these uh, 12 men will be focused on serving the widows. And so that fills out our understanding, right? Elders, the responsibility of elders is to pray and teach. Okay? And the responsibility of deacons is to serve and, um, and extend mercy. Does that make sense? And so let's talk about it in a very practical sense. Elders make the decisions in the church. They set the finances. They uh, set the direction of the church. Deacons uh, handle mercy ministry. Uh, they do some of the service aspects of the church. Like typically deacons take care of the building. Um, and so that's what deacons do in the church. Any questions on that? The difference? Well, it's not really the difference. But on the, the first Timothy three eight thirteen about deacons, it says also that they be tested first. What do you mean by testing? Uh, uh, can you point out? Uh, verse 10. Oh, let them be tested first. Um, you know, I don't know. I haven't thought of it. Um, <laughs> I think uh, testing here can, uh, I don't think it necessarily means then, you know, let them try out mercy ministry and see if they're good at it. Uh, obviously, we want people who have a heart for that and who have a skill set of that. But I think testing means, um, are they people with a gospel character? You know, are they people who are deeply humble, who love the gospel, um, who care for others? Do they have the character qualities and maturity to be a deacon? I think that's. I think that's what testing means. Uh, any questions? Any other questions? All right. Final question. This is kind of fun. What about women deacons? Um, let me just simply say that this is a very controversial issue, uh, not between liberals and conservatives, but w within even conservative Christians within the Reformed Church. This is a big debate. And so let me just simply say right now, especially since it's being recorded, that uh, this is not a settled issue, okay? And that there's a friendly dispute going on. But let me tell you my position, my understanding, okay? And so this is what I believe. I believe women are allowed to be deacons. Um, and I'll tell you, and I have three reasons for that, okay? Uh, reason number one, three reasons women deacons, Okay? Um, there's usually a technical word for it. They're called deaconesses. Okay. Reason number one. Okay. Paul prohibits women from being elders. Right? Why? Because elders have doctrinal authority. Right? Paul says, I do not permit a woman to have authority over a man. I don't believe deacons have that authority. Deacons don't have doctrinal authority. We're not to submit to deacons. And so therefore, it is fine and proper for women to be deacons. Uh, reason number two. If you look at the passage there in 1 Timothy, right? Uh, if you look at verse 11 uh, of, on the deacon list, it says, Deacons' wives must likewise be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. What, does, that some, does that strike you as really weird? Does that strike you as odd? What's weird about that, by the way? 
look compared to what it says about elders. What does it say about elders' wives and what does it say about deacon wives? What's the difference? It doesn't talk about the elders. Yes! It doesn't mention elder wives. Now, there are several conclusions you can make. Deacon wives have to be sober-minded, respectable, um, but elder wives can be just a big mess, you know. <laughs> they can like they can uh, they could be they could be totally you know carnal and sinful. But deacon wives have to be holy and godly. Is that what Paul is saying? No. So why does he mention deacon wives but not elder wives? And I believe the key is to realize that the word wives in Greek is the word gune, right? Um, for Harry, it's gune, right? <laughs> it's gune, and the word gune can mean either wives or women, depending on the context. They didn't really have separate words for wives and women. So you can translate verse 11 in one of two ways, right? Deacon wives, likewise, must be dignified, or you can say deacon women must likewise be dignified. And I believe the proper translation is women. And, I, and this, the reason why I believe that is because it doesn't mention elder wives, right? And so doesn't it make much more sense? Elders are supposed to be like this. Deacons are supposed to be like this. And likewise, women deacons are also to be respectable and, uh, and, and godly women, right? Uh, the third reason I would give is Romans 16. If you look at Romans 16, it mentions a woman named Phoebe. Not the woman from Friends, but uh, a servant of the church at Shenchereia. And um, the word servant there is the word diakonos. And diakonos can mean servant, or it can mean specifically the office of deacon. Right? And so you could, li- you could translate it, uh, Phoebe, a deacon of the church of Shenchereia. Which is it? Obviously the context decides. But I believe if you take all of these into account, it all points to the fact that uh, women can be deacons. Phoebe was a deacon. Paul talks about in 1 Timothy 3 that women can be deacons. And, and the reason is because deacons don't have that kind of doctrinal authority so that women are not being over men. We're not subverting the gender roles. That's my argument. Are there any questions with that? Are you going to talk about non-married men being elders? Yes. Non-married men can be elders. Why? What do you think? <coughs> what, what would be the, the, the example you would cite or argument you would cite? Let's say Paul. Paul. <laughs> yeah, Paul was an elder, right? Uh, so I think when Paul says uh, elders are supposed to be married only to one wife, it literally says elders are supposed to be a one-woman man. Um, I think he's basically saying you can't be polygamous. You can't have two, three, four wives. You have to be committed to your wife. But that does not exclude single men because Paul numerous times affirms the validity and the beauty and the value of uh, singleness. And he himself was single. And uh, we're not sure, but we think maybe there were others who were single too, like maybe Timothy. But t- for sure Paul. And so definitely marriage is not uh, a, pre- a prerequisite. For example, Paul mentions you have to you have to uh, manage your household, your children, 
can uh, can uh, man, married men without children be elders? Not if you take a very very rigid view of First Timothy three. So obviously, I don't think it should be read in that way. Great question. Any other questions? So here's the conclusion about women in the church. Women can do everything in the church. They can lead worship music. They can teach Sunday school. They can pray. They can do everything and anything except have the authority and hold the office of elder. That's my position. Um, um, Which I think includes preaching. And so... Uh, the, the restriction is very, very narrow, only to elders. Um, but I will say that there are a lot of conservative churches that will expand the prohibition. And so women can't teach Sunday school, for example. I know some people might feel uncomfortable about women praying in the, in the, in the church, in the worship service, or women leading worship music, because they think that has authority over men. Uh, but I think that's a way expansive view of, of interpreting it. But are there any, any, uh, any... So if you, if if you want to know, basically, my position is um, there are two positions in the church. One is called complementarian, one is called egalitarian. Egalitarian means men and women can, can be elders, pastors in the church. I'm on the complementarian side. But um, within the complementarian school, I'm on the progressive wing, the liberal wing of the conservative position. If you want to know, there are people to, to the right of me who are mo- far more conservative than me. Um, any questions or comments? No? Alright, let's pray then. Heavenly Father, we, we praise your name uh, that uh, you've given us this glorious gospel um, and that you've given us elders uh, to watch over us, to guard the gospel, to protect us from wolves. Uh, we pray that as uh, IGC plans ahead and thinks out uh, how we're going to have elders in the church, that you would, your spirit would be upon us and you would guide us and, and help us to, to, to find good, godly, wise men who can, who can uh, be alongside with me and, and care for the church and love the church. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.